Hello, and welcome to episode 100 of the Medical Device Success Podcast. I am Ted Newell, your host. 100 episodes. Wow, hard to believe. And I really appreciate all your support. Thank you very much. And you will have to keep listening because there's a lot more to share with you for the next 100 episodes. Today, we go back to value-based care from the provider's viewpoint. And Joseph Schulman is back for the second time. Joe is the Senior Vice President, Enterprise Data, and Chief of Information Intelligence at Northwell Health. Yes, we talk a bit about how value-based care is influencing a large healthcare system. And we discuss whether it is sustainable. However, I want you to listen carefully to what Joe talks about. It is about data and scale. Would you ever think that a healthcare system executive would talk in terms as if he was from Google or Microsoft? This is where our large healthcare systems are investing strategically so they can succeed in a rapidly changing environment. Here is a little clip of our conversation. You know, and that's something that we just have to continue that connection, that level of engagement. It's no longer an industry that we're here when you need us. That mm-hmm. has that that day is over. We're here when you of course we're here when they need us. That being said, it can't rely on that. It must rely on on our healthcare delivery network predicting and engaging and outreaching and connecting actively, not passively. Point is, if you're going to truly know your customer, you need to know this. Whether you sell one item to the operating room or dozens of items to every floor in the hospital, you need to know this. A quick aside, I really enjoyed my visit to Biomed Device Boston. It was an impressive trade show, and I recorded two podcasts from the stage there. It was informative and fun. And for those of you out west, there is Biomed Device Silicon Valley coming up, taking place November 29th and 30th at the Santa Clara Convention Center. I highly recommend it, and I will put a link in the show notes. Now, if you like the podcast, please share it with a friend via the share link of your podcast player of choice, and thank you for doing that. Now, let's hook up with Joe to learn about the importance of data, scale, and value-based care in a large healthcare system, and why he quotes Peter Drucker by saying, you can't improve what you don't measure. Joe, welcome back to the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast. It's really great to have you here again, and thanks for thanks for being on on board the second time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Ted. Great to uh, to be back, and uh, I'm looking forward to this uh, this topic and uh, this conversation. Great time it, last. It, time. It's an important topic, you know, value based care. Uh, but first, let's just tell the listeners what you do right now. You are the senior vice president of enterprise data and the chief of information intelligence at Northwell Health. So what what do you do in that role? So, I mean, I've, I recently assumed this role. It's a newly established uh, role, which was um, just part of our 
our uh, digital transformation effort and digital transformation movement that we've embarked on across the system. And um, my current role that I serve uh, organizationally as the um, as the leader for our um, enterprise scaled data uh, data design uh, information design spend a lot of time on our platform strategy from an information standpoint data and analytics as well as um, having the responsibility to organize our information and data um, assets relative to our capabilities uh, with regards to analytics our operational business intelligence and the business intelligence on our um, of our clinical operations as well and really to uh, strategically organize our approach to to accomplish really about five you know four or five key things um, one is around obviously having a solid and a flexible foundation for our data design and that is around whether it's around the type of data lake type architecture and design, whether it's around the integration of um, our disparate systems and uh, and the like, and synthesizing and working obviously with our technical teams to synthesize a a design and architecture that um, lends itself for very efficient uh, dissemination, um, digestion, and consumption uh, for decision-making. Put it simply, my aim is to make decision making easier uh, at right. North Health, and um, that's not you know simplicity is the toughest thing to always accomplish. The other thing is about data literacy and competencies across our our organization, really to elevate the level of data literacy and our uh, data management competencies across our organization, so that the use rates, utilization, and effectiveness uh, uh, effectiveness rate of uh, utilizing information is is enriched and a number of other things where uh, serving the, have a servant advisory capacity uh, mm-hmm. to be partnered with our with our clinical enterprises and our business enterprises to um, ensure again that we are um, in our you know accomplishing our growth goals, our outcomes generation goals. We have obviously we have terrific partnerships with research our education divisions, and as well as our related business entities and so forth. Um, And so um, I probably didn't get to all five of them, but, you know, I I don't want to take too much time. But so really it's, uh, we've aggregated a number of teams under this newly developed uh, division. Uh, We have uh, quality, uh, our quality reporting and quality analytics institute. We have our, our enterprise business intelligence and business intelligence analytics team, our data management, uh, data governance, and data strategy team and capabilities, as well as our uh, claims-based health plan, claims-based analytics, accountable care analytics, as well as um, our um, health plan uh, performance improvement analytics and so forth. So, yeah, I think, you know, this for listeners, and we're going to get to value-based care here in a minute, but you know, if um, you didn't have that Northwell sign behind you, somebody might think I'm talking to somebody from Google or from Tesla. <laughs> Seriously, you know, I don't think people understand how important data is to hospitals today and especially in the future to their survival. And some of it rolls into value-based care. We'll get to that. 
but uh, it's just amazing. And before this, you were just promoted, which I was congratulating you on before we started recording. Uh, you were just uh, promoted because the last time we talked, you were the senior vice president of population health and transformation. Is that correct? This transformation. I spent yeah. a number of years in that role, and, um, and and then over the course of I've been with the organization twenty with uh, Northwell twenty years, and in a variety of senior leadership and leadership capacities. Uh, but in along these lines, um, spent on and off approximately the last um, decade. Uh, devoted to our value elements and directly um, establishing our capabilities uh, for our within the value-based transformation space. Sure, sure. And like I said, uh, the last time I interviewed you, we talked about population health, which is something that I really didn't understand very well. And and you you really gave a great understanding, a great explanation of what it was, why it's so important, and so on. And like I said earlier, uh, value-based care is a part of that. And we didn't really spend time before on directly on uh, value-based care. So explain how value-based care is an important part of population health. So the way I would probably describe it is population health is a very, those are, it's a real broad, uh, it's a string together, two very broad terms. I mean, the pop, population health is, um, much broader. I believe it's it's much more in aggregate. I think the population health arena is is more closely related to obviously the um, the outcomes generation among the and mass mm-hmm. within larger swag geographic regions and so forth, which is essential. Mm-hmm. A lot of community health elements in there. There's certain public health elements in there. It's a, it's a much more encompassing. The value-based care and value-based transformation work is, I, I would say, it's more. It is. It, it has more precision to it. Um, I believe the best way to describe it, or that at least I've, I've described it. You know, you could have a number of uh, experts and those with expertise in this arena, and they may describe it a bit different. Um, my experience has been that um, the value-based transformation work and value-based work, um, what I would consider to be, and I may have mentioned this in our prior podcast, this is like a plug to go back and listen to the prior one, but <laughs> is um, is that really this is with high precision and this is in the identified space. So when you're working inside a value-based transformation, value-based instruments, uh, risk instruments, meaning risk cohorts uh, that are attributed to um, to a health plan cohorts, attribution, those defined populations, and which carries with it both you have the members, the individuals who, you know, we refer to them more traditionally in the health system arena, provider arena as patients, but in this space, they are members and beneficiaries as well. So they, they carry these three identities, patients, members, beneficiaries. It's both an ident- identified and the longitudinal performance and trajectory of their outcomes, specifically identified at the member level, as well as at the provider level. And so it's, it, it does have, so that's, we talk about the, the linkage between the analytics, the information flow and so forth. It relies on the understanding of a defined population so the definition of defined population and identified population specifically of individuals and the providers to which they are connected to, 
the the estimate and the um, estimation and prediction of the trajectory of their functioning, their level of functioning and uh, healthcare utilization based on their condition, and then the ability to manage um, and um, introduce interventions and oversight and engagement in order to optimize their out the their level of functioning their outcomes the management of chronic illness the predictive elements associated with a high probability of hospitalization rehospitalization er presentations and so forth through prevention wellness and engagement so i i know it's still even though i try simplifying it it gets a little it does get complicated but if i step back i would say the precision of this um, you know, is really the difference between um, in the value-based arena versus the much broader topic of population health. And I'll say one other thing, typically in the value-based transformation space, obviously, it's very, there's a very significant element here, which um, is also the, um, it's the conversion of, of, um, of um, outcomes elevation elevating the outcomes of defined populations, um, which translates into improved financial performance. Okay. And, but some of that, when you, when you're in value-based care, uh, some of that is, um, I don't want to use the word. It's an almost, it's also, there's elements of it that an agreement between you as a provider and the payer who's a large part in value-based care is the government, right? So, yeah, there are really, I mean, three, you know, there are three main, right, entities in terms of, uh, you know, with regards to who the arrangements are through. And uh, and so you have, in terms of the funding of healthcare, well, I should say the distribution of payment for healthcare. That is the federal government, obviously, at the, mainly in the Medicare program, obviously, the uh, state government, in the respective states, uh, that is their respective state Medicaid programs. Um, now, that's also still a 50-50 split. The feds are 50-50 partners with the states in the, uh, obviously, distribution and payment for health for Medicaid services throughout the U.S. And then you have employers. Those are the three, the three largest. The individuals um, are actually not the, you know, directly uh, distributing um, the vast majority of, uh, obviously, of funding and payment in a direct manner, but obviously through tax revenues and so forth. It's a big part of it. Right. So, for example, if I was to go to Northwell tomorrow, let's say I'm a Medicare patient, I go to a Northwell facility tomorrow because I need to have an ablation done with my heart for AFib or whatever it might be, some type of ablation. In, in that particular case, Northwell and Medicare have an agreement that says, this is what we're going to pay you for this. Is that correct? So we'd start with the traditional, the, the traditional uh, fee-for-service arrangement. So if uh, Ted Newell shows uh, it requires ablation, selects Northwell Health for the ablation, um, obviously we are uh, you know, a Medicare, Medicare provider. 
um, participating in obviously Medicare fee for service, as well as the vast majority of all of our Medicare Advantage, the Medicare Advantage plans. If you uh, participate in, in one of those in this scenario, we will in a we will um, provide the services. And there's the traditional provision of services, billing fee for service for those services. Now, what I will say though, there are, um, are a large percentage of our Medicare fee-for-service beneficiaries that are uh, being cared for by Northwell Health that are connected, attributed to our Medicare ACO. And so if, uh, for example, if, if yourself, Ted, if you, if your physician, that your PCP physician is um, Joe Shulman, and I am your PCP, and you are uh, you're attributed to me in our in Northwell's ACO, then the ablation and the aftercare and the outcome as a result of the ablation over time is also running in parallel and for which we are being measured on our performance under the ACO. So the exchange, uh, the fee-for-service payment mechanism remains in place. And then for individuals who are attributed to Northwell's PCP network and our ACO network, there's also a parallel analysis, evaluation, assessment, and measurement that's occurring around how well are we performing from an overall total cost of care, overall quality standpoint, and an overall performance standpoint. And for, uh, for listeners, I just want to say ACO stands for- I'm sorry, Accountable Care Organization. Yeah, Accountable Care Organization. And they, the listeners may also uh, may be familiar, they may have heard Medicare Shared Savings Program, the MSSP, or NextGen, ACO, um, um, uh, other type of ACO products like that. Okay. And so I sort of interrupted you there. So you have these two parallel things going on. And at the end of which, let's say, you know, everything works out well for me and there's no readmission or anything like that. What what happens at the end of this parallel process? Yeah, and, and all of these in, in the larger value-based arrangements that have a pool of individuals, whether they be members or beneficiaries um, or so forth, then these are really annual assessments, right? It's a meaning it's a, over the course of 365 days, typically it is, there are reconciliations, the reconciliations that occur, you'd say, well, what are you reconciling to? Well, in some cases, not all of these arrangements are the same. If right. you've seen one, you've kind of seen one, they have similar attributes, but not exactly the, there are certain unique properties to each of them. But typically the attributes are, there is a target, there is an estimate or a projected or a forecasted expected um, financial amount. So there's an expected amount for the total cost of care for that pool, not for just Ted Newell, but for, for the, let's just say in simple numbers, let's say it's 10,000 individuals. Mm-hmm. total cost of care over the 365-day period. There are a lot of technical ways to measure uh, and forecast that. That's probably for another 
that that'll yeah. I'm just trying to get invited back for a third time. That's it, so, <laughs> so. But um, but again, there is a projected or a target um, based on historical and based on complexity of the overall pool of the 10,000. So, okay. right. It's, it's your complexity, which is HCC score. It's a lot to do with documentation and reflecting your uh, the complexity of you as a beneficiary. That's all rolled up. And, um, and then the claims, all of the billing and all the claims under that fee for service, that traditional mechanism that I mentioned, which is we provide that providers providing services, they're billing, they're being reimbursed. That's all those claims are all being accumulated and obviously calculated and rolled up. And then basically they're, um, they're being, so you have the cumulative uh, cost to the total population relative to the targeted or expected or pre-negotiated amount. And then the Delta is basically if it's a, if it's the the overall performance is lower than expected, then there's a distribution. Typically there's a shared distribution or there's a distribution. If it's higher than expected, there could be, in some cases, there could be no penalty or no payment, depending that's called the shared savings. There's no shared risk in shared risk arrangements or in risk arrangements. There could be then that we Northwell or the risk bearing it or the, the, those who are assuming risk or who are participating have to distribute funds back or refund funds. So there's, there are a number of mechanisms. So in uh-huh. my, in, in my particular case that we're using, let's say instead of a population of 10,000, let's say it's a population of two. And so I'm one of these people in the population. I'm, I'm number one uh, person, one pa- patient yep. and <clears throat> everything works great. So the compared to the estimated costs of what could take place for me, I actually came in under. So the hospital did really well because of me. Um, and then the next person that comes in for the same procedure, uh, things didn't go so well for them. And they incurred a few additional costs. It could have been bedside medication. It could have been um, some retreatment work, maybe one additional night in the hospital, whatever. And their cost ends up being a little bit more. But between my costs and my savings, as me as an individual, this person sort of going over what the hospital hoped to spend or the healthcare system hoped to spend, um, they still came out a little bit ahead of what they told the government, this is what we think we're going to spend. So in that case, Northwell, with its two patients, would have received some money back, possibly from the government. The one thing is we um, we don't t- the, the government <laughs> the government puts out the programming and sets the targets. The, the, there's really there isn't negotiation with the government. There okay. there's the ability to have negotiations and negotiate with the um, health plans, but not okay. necessarily with the uh, government. And the okay. other thing I would say. <laughs> but whether we choose to participate, yeah. that's our choice, right? So okay. that's strategic in nature. In some yeah. cases, there are some some uh, required um, programs, value based programs. But in this case, you know, and sometimes they, you know, they have it's carrots and sticks. But um, in this case, you know, we as an organization, as a healthcare delivery network, are making the decision to participate um, or not. But yes, to your point. Um, but that what you just described, Ted, is a scenario which is a very important part of this topic, which is scale. Scale matters. You you can't go in with two 
This is yeah. not about entering into these arrangements with two, five, or 10. Even stop loss prevent uh, protections and programs are not going to insulate you from the risk corridor or the risk profile of that. This work requires scale. And that's something I think that's a theme for the audience. And, and that's a theme overall in terms of value-based transformation to always keep in mind. And we have a lot of lessons learned on that. I mean, we've gotten too overly precise at times in terms of selection of certain value-based arrangements that we um, were um, that we ent- entered into. We learned some hard lessons because the scale, and it was still, the numbers were pretty big, but the scale just simply wasn't there um, that, that we that we needed. And, and so that, that's something to always keep, this is, this is about, you know, these products, like anything in the insurance realm, it's always about, you know, it's it's around scale. It's around risk mitigation. um, And that's, that's like an essential ingredient um, of this. I will mention Ted also, we just didn't touch on it. And then we'll move on to the next question which is in those programs, it's not solely on total cost of care. There is another obviously critical element and that is the quality performance. So mm-hmm. there are certain core measures and quality measures that um, are predetermined uh, and thresholds and targets. And so the um, obviously the achieving of those quality targets and those uh, and that and of a particular quality performance, that also impacts and influences um, the, the distribution of any potential gains or and or could impact could insulate you from downside losses too so so the obviously the qual it's all about outcomes generation then manifesting them itself and then con- um really as the uh connection and as the uh res- and the result of outcomes elevation is financial enrichment that's really kind of like the very good, very good. Yeah. And so, you know, for my listeners who are med tech people, you know, uh, marketing sales operations and leadership and so on, the issue where med tech, you know, participates in this in both of those parts of the equation, which is the financial and also the quality is to have good quality products that help provide good outcomes at, 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 at economically. Right. No question. Um, it really is the evidencing where the medtech, where the medtech product, the technology, the capability, how it's situated, and and um, evidences where it, how it, um, its role in the value chain. Yeah. There's no question. No question. Okay. And if it, you know, so and there are a number of ways. Um, you know, to accomplish that, um, you know, but certainly it's, you know, it's really, it's designing an approach and a partnership and collaboration with provider networks. You know, I mean, I know Ted, you, we, we talk about, you know, the hospital, the hospital, it's we're, we're a healthcare delivery network. I mean, we're, yes, we have a, a number of hospitals all concentrated into downstate New York. We're the largest health system in this, you know, uh, private system in the state of New York. However, where our, our scale is, um, you know, our scale, we're $15 billion top line organization. 50% of our revenue flows through non-hospital operations and non-hospital entities. 50% of the top line runs through hospitals. And so, you know, really what 
what value-based care delivery, value-based care performance, and so forth, it relies on your healthcare delivery network operating at an extraordinarily well-coordinated, high level um, that has a, a high connection strength and an engagement level with the patients, obviously members, beneficiaries, as I've described, um, on a 365 degree, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, 365 day cycle and renews it each 365 and the provide your provider network and aligning incentives. That's really important. And it's an important, um, it's the most important element, you know, and that's something that we just have to continue that connection, that level of engagement. It's no longer an industry that we're here when you need us. That has, that, that day is over. We're here when you, of course, we're here when they need us. That being said, it can't rely on that. It must rely on, on our healthcare delivery network, predicting and engaging and outreaching and connecting actively, not passively. Mm -hmm. Right. So it, it seems like there's a certain kind of culture around value-based care. Uh, I talked to another executive who said it would it taken him like four years to move his system into accepting and, and appreciating value-based care and getting some results. Why does, why does it take so long? Why, why does it take so long for uh, a healthcare system to make these changes and adjustments? I was going to say he's four years. He was fast tracking. that. That's <laughs> <laughs> Who okay. is this high performer? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> just making us all look bad. So, um, <laughs> So, so what I'd say is it goes back to something I mentioned earlier. Uh, the the traditional uh, fee for service chassis of um, care delivery and reimbursement is um, is still and remains the the vast majority of represents the still the majority share of revenues you know to providers. It does. Now, certain parts of the country, and this is a geographic situation, certain parts of, our, parts of the country are much more advanced and deeper into the, um, the, the most sophisticated and advanced value-based models with heavy adoption. And some parts of the country are, um, aren't quite at that stage yet. Nationally, you know, the... Um, Certainly, it exists in every part of the country. However, I think it's it is certainly though around timing, and it's around the adoption level at this point. Part of it is um, geography is important. The we're in met we operate in Metro New York, which in Metro New York and uh, our region and our geography um, is quite different than other parts of the country. Whether it be the Midwest, whether it be the South, whether it be out on the West Coast whether um, it be in the Northwest. Um, so, you know, that's a very important element to understand. The, the use patterns, the historical utilization patterns, the demands of the respective consumer, uh, the immediacy uh, demands, the expectations, the consumption, you know, consumption of services in general, consumption of goods and services. This is all part of it. Um, this is really about conditioning you know, our, you know, our market service area, our working very much more closely and aligning the, 
the incentive, we have to make sure the incentives get aligned appropriately and that, um, and that we're transitioning over time, this marathon, which is transitioning over time. There's no, like, this is an evolution. It's not a revolution, right? right. So it's, there's no hard cut over. We can't, we're not snapping our fingers and all of the, in the, in this marketplace. And all of a sudden uh, Kaiser, the Kaiser model is adopted. It's, mm-hmm. it, it, it is so complex and um, the dependencies are so significant that it does require, you know, this this aligned effort and a shared vision effort in order to move it forward. And we're committed. You know, we recognize evidencing, you know, high value, the evidencing uh, of a um, high value care delivery network and that we are a high value care delivery network is paramount. It, we, you know, but it takes a lot of work foundationally to get there. And that is around, like I mentioned, um, incent- the, making sure the, your quality programs are, um, are synced up with the uh, core measures that are sitting inside of uh, the value-based arena, which are also in sync with, you know, existing uh, quality measures. Like, for example, I'll give an example of Ted. Several years ago, um, we transitioned, and this was the declaration at Northwell, you know, how we recognize the evidencing of being, uh, you know, in the performance of, as a high-value care delivery system, how critical it was. We, um, our, our key, key performance indicator and our um, core measure at an enterprise level for quality, for many years, it was mortality, mm. which makes sense, clearly. I mean, obviously, we so mortality and performance with respect to mortality was our KP, our, uh, our KPI. Mortality continues to clearly be its table stakes. Performance in the mortality space continues to be uh, among the most critical, obviously, for Northwell Health, no question. In addition, though, we introduced and adopted the 30-day readmission rate. Mm-hmm. 30-day readmission rate then, um, and having the KPI is 30-day readmission rate, all of a sudden we zoom out and that not only is an, is the acute care theater, but now that brings in our transitions of care. It brings in the pre, it brings in the uh, during, it brings in the transitions of care, our post-acute services, our care coordination, all the, all the other transitional elements. Um, that was a very, um, I think that evidenced, you know, how, you know, how um, important, you know, this, this next stage for our organization is, and we are going and then, you know, that and that's only a 30, that's a 30 day period. But as we're talking about here, you know, we're working on programs that are obviously longitudinally, you know, these programs span, um, you know, the 365 days of the year. Sure, sure. And when you talk about evolution versus revolution, and you talk about scale, I think in, a, in the previous um, podcast that we did together, you talked about how Northwall, you know, was actually hiring and employing a lot of physicians. You're employing more and more physicians all the time. Is that part of this evolution is to actually have them become part of the organization? And that does that also contribute to scale and contribute to being contribute to the ability of Northwell to align all these things with all the stakeholders that are involved in the patient, you know, process? Is that part of it? I'd say it's, um, there are, I, I, what I would say is it's, it's the network, 
it, mm-hmm. it is really so the 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 complexion of our network. Uh, we pride ourselves um, on having the complexion of our network being we have uh, a large employed group, our Northwell Health yep. Physician Partners. We also mm-hmm. critically we have our our IPA and our voluntary. You know, these are our participating. Uh, physicians in our uh, in our respective IPA, as well as the physicians that practice in our communities, are voluntary physicians that are um, connected to our health system. It all all of these. So the network of care from a Northwell Health standpoint um, relies on on um, that that design. Um, that being said, we want to ensure that we have strong alignment and connection and that we're uh, providing value obviously to the, to those respective provider um, subgroups, right. Our, our clearly our employed group, which, you know, is owned and operated, meaning that group itself. And then the, the providers and the, that, you know, they're employees of Northwell, but that it, again, that's a component we also have our, and again, we have, but the voluntary, the community physicians and the voluntary physicians that um, we have extraordinary relationships with, our, our commitment is to further strengthen those relationships. You know, we appreciate that there, it's going to be, there isn't going to be a single model uh, or a single, it's not about, you know, an employed model. It's not about a voluntary model. It is about around a clinically meaningful and clinically connected and um, clinically enriched network that is coordinated and that we're providing the necessary services uh, for patients and their families and the providers to navigate the network, have the requisite supports that they need to achieve the outcomes that are desired and that are targeted and that are we're striving for and um and then to assess how we're performing so that's the way you know that that really is um you know that's the design okay i mean sure there's always you know we're again there isn't just a one size fits all in terms of this it's really around the the, the more of the superstructure around alignment sure sure so the government is the I, I believe, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the government via Medicare, maybe via some other organizations within CMS are are the people that push the value-based care equation. Is that correct? I mean, there's no question the government is the strongest force okay. given the so many obvious for so many obvious reasons. The government is, you know, again, yes. I mean, that's they're they're the, the major driving force. The health plans. You know, the health plans, obviously, and the employers, I just, I don't want to m- minimize the impact that obviously these made the major plans um, and the employers have. Certainly, though, the federal government is, you know, is the 10,000 pound gorilla. Right, exactly. So, it, and everybody sort of is following along with the direction the government goes. Is the government approach to value-based care, is it sustainable? I, I, my impression is that they're still, they are still rest. The government, the federal government is still wrestling with, with the particular models that they, that they're evidencing that they're effective and that they, whether or not they have sustainability seems like every three months, every six months and every 12 months, they're, they're making their pre-substantive 
kind of changes or um, sunsetting of programs, introducing others. Uh, what you're seeing also is what was, and perhaps certainly intentional, what was optional then becomes mandatory, but then was, was mandatory, then is replaced by something else. So I, I don't necessarily see that the, the federal government at this point is uh, precisely uh, determined uh, or put a pin in which models they, you know, they um, see as as wildly effective yet at at mega scale. I think what what they're seeing what you're seeing is there are, they've put out there over the years there have been a number of programs um, that um, that have been launched, both some mandatory, some voluntary uh, for participants. And what they're doing is they're assessing. So all of those programs uh, and the effectiveness of those programs and making a determination, well, what, what are the attributes of all these programs? And then what is the, what's the, you know, what are the handful of models? They're trying to simplify it, quite frankly. Okay. I mean, okay. I know it sounds like, you know, like uh, it sounds remarkable to say around, you know, federal government trying to simplify things. But they, I, I truly believe they are attempting to simplify it. It's just, uh, but I, I sustainable, sustainable. I don't think they're there yet. Okay. Okay. So, would you say that it's a like? Is it a stepping stone to getting better control over healthcare costs? Yeah, I would say that. I think it's. Um, I think most importantly, it's a stepping stone to um, gaining much more clarity and deeper insights and um, effective monitoring of outcomes. Okay. That's the most important thing. And then the outcomes, obviously, with that comes the financial benefit. But, you know, the, the, it's one of the most rewarding um, attributes of this is, you know, the, we're seeing the information where that is required to review, you know, and the insights required, the data exchange um, that is required in order to perform in these instruments and into performing these programs, it's um, it's really tested our, you know, not just our organization, it's tested the healthcare, healthcare landscape nationally and the provider landscape nationally. And it is, it's really, it has been, enlightening it's been exciting because this the level of sophistication around reviewing information that probably that 10 years ago 15 years ago was just simply not available was mm-hmm. just simply unattainable was simply a black box now you know again uh, you know with all the appropriate protections and so forth my you know and and, and meeting all regulations my point is that it is really, it's, it's, it's been, um, you know, it's the old, what you don't measure, you can't improve. Right. And uh, we had inabilities to measure certain things. And now measuring and monitoring has just become, you know, we, we've become much more facile and much more, um, and we're, you know, we're leaning in. On this. Yeah. Yeah. If you think about the, the vendors, because, you know, like I had, um, I, I I use the ablation as an example because I had that back in December. It Thank was ver- very successful here at University. I don't remember you calling me about having it done at our place. <laughs> <laughs> I had it done at Penn. Uh, great All place. Right. Did a great They're job. Pretty good. 
They're pretty yep. good. <laughs> but the you know, I'm um I'm a Medicare person, so I get the so-called uh the, the uh, document that indicates all the costs that were involved, what Medicare was billed, yep. and then what they actually paid. It was so different. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, how does a hospital make money off of a guy like me when they get paid, you know, so little compared to what all the things that they charged for? So I sit back and I think, you know, where's the sustainability in this? Because I remember when I talked to Mark Dixon, who who was the person that introduced me to you. Right. You know, we talked about the fact that hospitals, there's this gap between what they lose on Medicare and Medicaid and so on, and what they what they gain on private payers and, and industry and so on. So I, I, that's why I'm, I, I ask about the sustainability and how does MedTech, you know, participate to, to help? Well, I guess I would say it this way, and yeah, definitely. I mean, and Mark, you know, was spot on. Um, the but what I'd say it this way: so the cost of healthcare and the total cost of care and so forth, um, everything is off of the baseline. So we're at a baseline of cost right now, meaning we're at a baseline of sustainability and so forth in general. Now, there are there are organizations as you just described that don't have the ability to cross subsidize have you know their commercial their commercial um, book basically cross subsidizing their governmental book right because they are you know where they're situated their markets their market demographics and so forth they may have the vast majority could be in some cases there are places and networks, healthcare delivery systems, and so forth that are ninety percent governmental, mm-hmm. right? right? 90 percent governmental. That is a real struggle, um, and and therefore you would you know the question is then well then what's the survivability of you know under you know and and how does value based care um, how does that play a role potentially? I, I would argue. That let's take that scenario for for a moment. It may answer. Hopefully, this answers your question a bit or gives an illustration of it. If I'm operating a an organization that a system that is ninety percent governmental reimbursed, and in the ninety percent, um, let's say forty percent is Medicare, sixty percent. Uh, let's say forty percent is Medicare, fifty percent is Medicaid, state Medicaid, and then another ten percent is commercial. Well, again, like I mentioned, for the most part, you have uh, you have commercial payers that are uh, managing most of those, uh, a good portion of that uh, governmental book first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, managed Medicaid plans. So you have the health plans administering the, uh, the Medicaid plans. And then uh, you have a portion of those Medicare beneficiaries who are participating in Medicare Advantage plans. Um, and so, and the gov- the government is is also, and then you have the traditional fee for service. Going back to what I said, there's a baseline of performance. So all of those, so the government beneficiaries uh, and all those health plans in your market, in the market that you operate as that that health system, a they have a particular performance on their from a health plan standpoint, right? So from baseline. 
and it's measured in different kinds of calculations. For the health plans, they measure it in MLR, medical loss ratios, MER, medical expense ratios. They try to not put the, uh, the, the L in there, the loss, medical expense ratio. They're calculating how they're performing. And, um, and again, off baseline, the question is, well, certainly recognizing, let's say performance is, and you got the benchmark it, where's performance relative to benchmark? I mean, performance on total cost of care on, you know, overall, you can always improve. My point is there's this tremendous opportunity to improve the performance. And then that's the collaboration and the relationship and the negotiation with the respective plans when you're committed to um, look, we're going to improve this. We're going to improve uh, the performance and um, on the MER. Now it's really complicated. It's really complicated. What I just described, I'm oversimplifying it. It's really complicated. But what is the alternative for a for a system that's ninety percent, ninety five percent governmental? You're not going. They're not going to get there on that traditional fee for service side. Um, too too easy either. Right? It's just been right. death by a thousand cuts. So. Um, this is a vehicle potential. Now, for organizations, again, that operate in a, a more balanced type of environment where you have, you know, maybe a third, a third, a third, or, you know, and so forth. Well, there's different strategies there. I mean, it's again, so it's like I said, it's not a one size fits all, but what I would are the say- baseline, Are the baselines different for- well, when I say baseline, I'm just talking about the baseline performance, not the benchmarks. Okay. I'm just talking about the the baseline performance of how it performed on a on an annual basis. So if I look at, let's say, um, if I'm in a a very an area that's really struggling from a an overall cost per capita, total cost of care, heavy heavy governmental, and um, I'm operating a risk cohort for on behalf of a managed Medicaid plan or a managed or a Medicare Advantage plan, and I'm at 120, 125% MLR, which means 25% above the premiums that I'm getting, the revenues, 125%. um, Well, if there's initiatives and there's performance improvement in a relationship and aligning incentives with respective provider, large provider group that can improve my, can improve that performance for that cohort to now 100 for year one, 119%, 117%, 116% over time and improving, that's improving, that's, that's accretive value and accretive margin generation that can be shared. Okay. Among, now, don't get me wrong. These entities and these providers are inside of that spend, right? So there's a there's a, a real balance. But again, the, the ethos is it's about your, you know, the the connection strength inside of your and the alignment inside of your network. And that um the a fully appointed network, the necessary, the necessary healthcare, sir, all necessary healthcare services, your aim is for it to occur inside of your network. That's and it. then when it comes to the suppliers, the vendors, now that's, that's, that's just a part of the cost because you have all these other costs involved too, but the vendors, like does a system like Northwell tell the two or three or four different GPOs that it works with, um, does it tell them like um, you guys are going to have to sharpen your pencil more uh, in 2023 because this is where we see costs or reimbursements or whatever going 
and then therefore the GPS turn and they look at all their, their suppliers and say, you guys have to sharpen your pencils more. How does all that work? Ted, there's never a lack of everyone's got to sharpen their pencils. So there's, <laughs> that, that's universal. Everyone needs what we tell them. You better have a mechanical pencil because we don't want all the sharp. Just keep clicking. Just keep clicking. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the pressures, you know, look, the pressures on uh, a success, you know, an organization like ourselves. We, uh, you know, we're very proud of this organization and you know, how we've, um, we've grown and, and, you know, really the, and the, you know, the services and the outcomes that we're, we're, that we're providing to our markets and communities. That being said, the pressures are enormous. The headwinds are very, very strong. And on an annual basis, we're constantly tasked with, you know, again, you know, raising the bar, challenging ourselves and pushing ourselves to make you know to overcome a lot of challenges, lots coming that comes out from from a government standpoint, whether it's via sequestration things that, again impacts like that impacts at the state government level. Remember the state government, we've been educated obviously and reminded the difference between the feds and the state. The feds can operate and they can uh, spend in deficit. The state governments have to balance a budget, so that's where the state reductions, state cuts happen more acutely than the feds. And so these are enormous pressures. So the complexion of your state government and the coffers of the state have massive impact on, you know, on the uh, on the solvency and on the uh, viability of healthcare delivery providers. So yeah, it, there's no not one moment of the day that even an organization like ourselves, we've had some some terrific, some real success, but complacency, there is no complacency. Uh, you know, it's there, this is all about vigilance every day, every single day. Um, we 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 don't operate, you know, on double digit margins, right? We operate on slim. Still, we still have slim, very slim uh, margin, and that margin then is reinvested into our capital plan. Um, but you know, I there are some entities out. I, you hear about double digit margin generation and so forth. You know, it's. Um, you know, those are interesting organizations to to dive in and to learn uh, about how they're, uh, you know, how they're accomplishing. But, you know, the markets are very different. Yeah. Yeah. How are we doing for time? Are we re- running out or? I have like, uh, I I have like five to seven minutes. Okay. Uh, All right. I just want to make sure we can wrap this up yeah, right now. So whatever. I guess what I would say is um, what advice do you have for med tech companies that are, trying to participate in this environment, maybe, maybe advice about how they can be more than just a manufacturer, put something in a box and ships it out. Uh, So a few things I'd say one is um, they need to really elevate their competency in this space. And, um, and so, you know, I think there, this requires um, some real conviction to educate themselves um, and also to potentially bring in some individuals who, you know, from who, who have insights and experience in the space to then to really um, enlighten their respective companies. Also to evidence and demonstrate that competency level to respective um, provider partners and provider systems. Um, so I know, for example, we've had plenty of meetings throughout over the years where 
it's pretty clear that the account exec team or the leadership team of the respective company that we're having discussions with, they kind of surface-based understand that, or they surface-based understood some, some of these dynamics, but that they really didn't truly have experience in this. This is, you do have to be very knowledgeable and um, and have a deep understanding of the value-based care hydraulics in order to both internally for them to strategize about how they can insert themselves in the value chain, and then also how to um, effectively partner with um, large provider entities and provider health systems um, or other partners on where they, you know, how can they insert themselves into the value chain? So I think that's really important. The other is um, is to understand the information and the data and the data sets to the degree to which, well, what is the differentiator, right? What is maybe it's a competitor, the differentiator that the competitor, their respective competitors or those with comparable products in the marketplace are evidencing that they're in the value chain and that the outcomes have been published with that particular product inside of that initiative. I, you know, they have to have a real un- deep understanding of that. And then what I would say is also, you have to be able to select your partners very, very carefully, because there are many also providers and, and clients out there that um, aren't also ready <laughs> for certain things. And so they may end up hitching their wagon on a pilot or beta or some kind of pilot initiative or a study that ends up be burning a lot of fuel for a lot of nothing uh, because the that particular uh, client or that particular customer it wasn't ready. So I think the you have to be able to evaluate the right partners. Um, you right. can't you can't just court the you know the largest, the biggest, and the largest that you you want to sell goods and services to and jump in this, and all of a sudden you find yourself like. Well, what a disaster that was over after this a year has gone by. We invested all this time, effort, and energy in this. Uh, we were really banking on this and it went nowhere. Right. So I think you have to, I if I'm on that side, I'm I'm selecting very carefully. I know it's very hard because you're just you're in a BD mode and you're just, you know, again around making the the connections, the getting the they getting the account to grow and so forth. But I think you got to be disciplined uh to, to select the right providers the right partners. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's excellent. That's excellent. Well, I'm going to let you go since I know you've got um, other things to do today, but this I got is data. I got great. data to take a look at. Ted. I got, I got information to take a look at. No, <laughs> you got yeah, data. Data is <laughs> falling down. Data is filling up. Oh, oh, <laughs> well, thanks, Joe. Thanks so much for taking time uh, to come back and spend it with us. Talk about value-based care. Sure. I really do appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, it's a great topic. It's uh yeah, like I said, it's evolutionary, and uh, you know, and, and we're gonna we're gonna get there as an industry in general. Um, and those that benefit, patients, most important thing, patients have to benefit uh, through outcomes elevation. That's it. And uh, and you know, we want to create a great environment for providers to practice. How do we digest all of this in the med tech world? I think it goes to what Joe says near the end that companies have to have someone that truly understands the dynamics of the healthcare systems. Remember that Joe indicates that systems can differ based on geography and demographics. Do you know what the revenue points are for the systems you are trying to sell to? And perhaps I shouldn't use the word sell. A better word would be collaborate. Because 
if you're not part of their team in their eyes, you may not be a vendor very long. If you don't understand the healthcare systems, then get help from someone who does. For example, a really good GPO consultant like Accelerant Consulting. Thanks for spending time with me and Joe today. Now go win your week.